Our scripture today comes from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 to 14. As we continue with our series on Hebrews, I hope that you will follow along on your Bibles, on study guides, or you can also follow on the screen on top of me. Here's what it says. Sacrifices and offerings, burn offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. My uh, journey into pastoral ministry uh, has been interesting, interesting to say the least. I, um, I was 14, I had just arrived home after getting baptized, and God called me to become a pastor through a beautiful passage in Isaiah. At first, uh, especially since women were not allowed in my congregation to become pastors, my first thought was, well, maybe the pastor kept me underwater a little too long. That, Pastor was known for saying the longest prayers while he immersed people. But no, that, that wasn't what happened. I really truly felt called into something new and different. And that's an experience that I've always treasured and I always remember that. But I came into that calling with a lot of baggage. And God has graciously spent the last 20 years or so just peeling off all the layers of religiosity that I came with. My church leaders growing up had taught me that my actions could earn God's love, that becoming a good person and earning my salvation was the ultimate goal of my life. And truth be told, living like that was just exhausting for me. Being the Christian who knew the Bible from cover to cover, who said all the right things, who did all the right things was exhausting. Around that time is when I met my, uh, the man that would become my husband, Eric, and um, he also inherited a lot of that baggage. And perhaps that's one of the reasons I appreciate Eric the most. Um, he makes me less religious. He helps me to have fun. He helps me to not take myself so seriously. During um, my 30th birthday party, a group of friends and Eric had conspired and decided that it was, the first, it was time for me to, to try wine for the first time. <laughs> and of course, as I was going uh, into a religious panic attack during my birthday party, um, Eric found me as I was coming out of the restroom and said, honey, come, come here. And he pulled me to the side and said, you know, you can love Jesus and drink a little wine. That's what makes Methodism so great, he said. <laughs> you can love God and have a little wine. I said, oh, well, you know, God, you are a pastor and God's speaking through you, so. 
what can I do other than just try it? And so I tried less than half a glass, and I was partying after that. <laughs> Let me tell you, opposites do attract, y'all. That's all I have to say. My church growing up had taught me dogma. It taught me rules. It taught me to be afraid of sin. Uh, it implanted in my mind this idea that it was up to me to overcome sin. Salvation was up to, to my actions, to what I did to follow Christ faithfully. But now I know, after 20 years of peeling off those layers, I know that that concept was just flawed. It was hurtful. It was hurtful for me, but I know it was also hurtful for people who are living in the real world, who are outside of that Christian bubble that I grew up in. If your experience is similar to my experience growing up, then probably you can identify with these comparisons that I made. The first one is religious, a religion demanded obedience to rules and convinced us that our actions make us worthy before God. In contrast to that, Jesus said that through him and through his sacrifice on the cross, we're made free. He wants us to be in close relationship with him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to trust him. The second one is religion guilts our conscience and oppresses our hearts. We're never good enough, no matter what we do, how hard we try. In contrast, through Jesus, repentance leads us to freedom, to a life of fullness in his love. And God, Christ says, you can do all, all things through me who strengthens you. Then religion, religion tries to keep us stagnant, paralyzed by fear, and feeling judged. Opposed to doubt, Jesus empowers us and unleashes us to change the world in his name. But before we stop comparing religion to what Jesus wants us to do, there's one more religion out there that is probably the most harmful and is the hardest to identify because it presents itself as harmless. This religion is called moralistic therapeutic deism. And for my sake, because I can barely pronounce those three words together, <laughs> today we're going to call it MTD. Amen? <laughs> so moralistic is the concept that God wants you to be a good, nice, fair, as taught in the Bible and other world religions. Therapeutic. The central goal of your life is to be happy, well-adjusted, to feel good about yourself. And deism. There is a God, but he kind of just disappeared after creation. A good MTD follower doesn't want God meddling, but does want God whenever things go wrong, whenever they need something, or whenever a conflict needs to be resolved. And of course, in MTD, all good people go to heaven. MTD is a religion of convenience. It's earning our way to God. It's calling God when we need him without any real commitment. MTD adherents are known for liking God in moderation. It's uncool to be one of those Jesus followers that are too into Jesus. Also for MTD followers, sin becomes an inconvenient truth that you just kind of sweep under the rug because entity doesn't require a transformation of the soul through repentance. 
It doesn't require God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ. Uh, Easter is just one more holiday. It's actually a big holiday because of, you know, the bunny, the egg hunt. Not because Jesus died on the cross and conquered sin and came to redeem us. Now, opposed to all of that, opposed to MTD, there comes this concept of a new model that is presented to us in Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus come, comes and he moves beyond religion. He makes all of those old religious concepts obsolete. And he establishes this model that requires one thing, surrender from us. This is why he tells us in Luke chapter 9, and this, this, this chapter is so important in correlation to the, to the Hebrews chapter. Jesus, this is what Jesus asks from us. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus warns us, however, that following him is not going to be easy. That following him is actually hard. But he also tells us that it is possible because it is no longer up to our rituals or our sacrifices, but it is all through his power. He tells us, I conquered sin and death for you. All you have to do is to cling to me with all that you have. That's exactly what he tells his disciples when he was here on earth with them. He tells them, I will give you the power to overcome sin. I will give you the wisdom when you come to the crossroads in, in your life when you have to decide between following your own will or my will. I will give you hope in the midst of despair. He walks with them. He teaches them. He supports them. He encourages them. That's also the reason why the Apostle Paul and other people of faith are able to come out victorious through some of the hardest things of their lives. Jesus tells Paul in 2 Corinthians, this is what he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's why Paul is able to say this, Therefore, I will, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, why do we think that if surrender is all that we need to do, why do you think that's so hard for us to do? And I'm going to argue today that the reason for that is control. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to be in control of what I do, of when I do it, of how I do it. I want to be the master of my decisions. That's why, and Eric is, amen. <laughs> That's why MTD is so popular, because MTD adjusts to our wants and our desires. Instead of requiring us, uh, us to adjust to God's will and to God's desires. Early in 2017, I declared this to be the year in which I relearned church history. And so I've been reading through the first 2,000 years of, of church history. Yeah, I know I'm a lot of fun, guys. Uh, <laughs> 
And uh, most of my stories in my, the Bible studies I lead, in some of the chapters I go to, they hear about all of these people from the first few centuries of Christianity. And today, of course, I'm going to bring another one, the story of St. Augustine. He was a prominent theologian, and um, he was a philosopher uh, that was one of the most influential voices in the, you know, in the birth of Western Christianity. He, um, it was funny that I, as I was reading his story, I was becoming judgmental of him. I was becoming religious, preparing for a sermon that is anti-religion. Uh, because he had an interesting life. I mean, he didn't, he didn't become, I, I was shocked, I, thinking to myself, I'm shocked that this guy actually became a saint. How is it that he became a saint? I was being very judgmental. But it was a fascinating story because he had a very rough uh, start. From his early years, his mother would beg God to bring Augustine uh, to the faith. He loved to party. He loved the company of a lot of women at the same time, if you know what I mean. Uh, he had a huge struggle with lust. Uh, he took a concubine, lived with her for 10 years, had a child out of wedlock, all while he was still partying with his other philosoph philosopher friends. Um, and even though you know, he knew about God, he knew about Jesus, he really didn't want it. He wasn't interested in surrendering. He just wanted to get his way. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. Once uh, his mother begged a bishop to come and try to share with him uh, the good news and to try to help him become a good Catholic. And um, with a lot of sarcasm, he said this prayer. I just love this prayer. He said, give, give me chastity and continency, God, but not yet. Isn't that how we all pray sometimes? Funny thing is that, believe it or not, God does listen to all prayers, even the sarcastic ones. Uh, so God continued to pursue Augustine relentlessly. He would send signs. He would send people. He would try to, Jesus tried to get him in one way or another until one day Augustine finally decided to surrender. He realized that Jesus didn't want him part-time. Jesus didn't want him only whenever he needed something. He, Jesus wanted all of him, just like Jesus wants all of us. Yet the most powerful part of his testimony is that he realized that that whole time that he struggled with sin, it had never been up to him. He realized that it is because of Jesus' power that he would be able to overcome lust and temptation and all the sins that afflicted him. It was through his power that he was able to do incredible things for the church. Augustine went on to, to transform the lives of so many people, but it's because Jesus called him, Jesus guided him, Jesus showed him the way, Jesus took him through the hard paths that he had to go through, Jesus transformed his soul. It was all through Jesus' power and not through his. That's a beautiful reminder of how he matured in the fullness of Christ. You know, and then opposed to that prayer that he prayed that said, give me chastity and continency, but not yet. He wrote this other prayer, and I'm going to read it for you guys. He said, too late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside of myself. And there I sought you. In my weakness, I ran after the beauty of the things you have made. You were with me, and I was not with you. 
the things you have made kept me from you, the things which would have no being unless they existed in you. You have called, you have cried, and you have pierced my deafness. You have radiated forth, you have shined out brightly, and you have dispelled my blindness. I have tasted you, and I hunger and thirst for you. You have touched me, and I ardently desire your peace. You know, we, in the same way as Augustine, we can also run, we can try to hide, but Jesus will always, no matter what, he will always find us. Jesus will ask us to follow him, and he won't ask us to follow him whenever we're going through hard times, whenever we need something from him, whenever we want something that we, uh, we want to achieve or get. He wants all of us. At that moment is when we have to remember that all we need to do is to cling to Jesus with all that we have, because it is by his strength and not by our own strength. A good friend of mine said once, the Christians that shine the brightest are those that are clinging to Jesus for their lives. The Christians who can't get enough of Jesus' words, the Christians who get on their knees to pray, the Christians who find time for Jesus even in the midst of their busiest schedules, those are the Christians, those are the Christ followers that God uses to do incredible things in this world. The light of Christ shines so brightly through those people that it is hard to explain. I want us to be encouraged today to stop being religious and to be faithful to Christ instead. He gave it all for us and he makes us victorious in his name. He says it is not by your power, by mine. He sets a new rule. It is no longer the rule of religion. It's the rule of clinging to him, asking for his power to be made perfect in our weakness. As we prepare for communion today, I invite you to please reflect on these words and think of the ways in which you will surrender today. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, I am so grateful for your sacrifice for us through Jesus Christ. I am grateful because Christ shows us that religion is now obsolete. That doesn't matter what we try to do, what we try to say. What matters is that we honor your son, that we cling to him with everything that we have so that he can come and be made perfect through us. Today, Father, we prepare our hearts for a time of communion. We prepare to surrender before you. And we thank you for the miracle that it is that the creator of the universe will call us and will use us for his purposes. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.